0: Hello, my name's Tom Boone.
1: And I'm Joanna Bailey.
0: Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week.
1: Coming up today, Tom will start with some sad Airbus A380 news, while I look into a dramatic crash landing from last weekend.
0: I'll recap my experience on Lufthansa's first Boeing 787 flight, and Joe will dive into United's historic return to Brisbane.
1: Finally, Tom will look at what Boeing was up to in Q3.
0: So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And, you know, I thought I'd start with Tom's A380 podcast just to get it out of the way. <laughs> let's um, do that then. But I had a, a, a story that I found quite interesting. And that is that um, Tarak Airsafe has started scrapping its first A380 in Tyrell in Spain. Hmm. Um, so over the pandemic, they had lots of A380s. They had uh, Lufthansa, Air France, British Airways and Etihad. Um Lufthansa is going to take some of its out, we think, uh, next summer. Mm-hmm. Etihad might never say never. Uh, who knows <laughs> what's they happening keep with us. that? <laughs> yeah, uh, what well, they're going to have to say never at some point. But um, yeah, and British Airways already took out all of their A380s. So I did some digging because, um, you know. They've, they've had quite a few um, A380s, and they've, Tarmac Aerosave has already scrapped some of its A380s in um, Tarbes in France. Mm. So they're no, no stranger to scrapping the A380, but um, it was quite interesting. The first thing they removed from the aircraft was one of the sets of protective breathing equipment, and they actually highlighted this. Um, and they expect to take until March to recycle the jet completely wow. for a customer called Nile. I probably said that wrong. Um, And I found it really interesting because I, you know, you know me, I wanted to know which airplane this was. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: Which specific A380 is this? (laughs) So
0: I reached out to Tarmac Aerospace, uh, Aerosave even. Um, and they told me that due to a confidentiality agreement, they couldn't tell me which one it was being dismantled. Um, but also something along the lines of the important part of the story was that they were doing it to one rather than which one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't going to take no for an answer. And I did some Im- uh, some digging. Um, and I think... I'm fairly like 95% certain I know which one it is, but I don't want to say 100 just because you never know. But um, firstly, the Spanish publication Heraldo um, published an image with a, uh, of the plane with a SkyTeam logo. Okay. So that instantly rules out Lufthansa, who's Star Alliance, and Etihad, who has no alliance. And, you know, we can also rule out Etihad because they're yet to decide on the future of their A380s. Um, so I looked at the two uh, Air France A380s that are in Terrell. There's MSN-64 that was formerly Foxtrot Hotel Papa Juliet Foxtrot, and that one was owned by Air France. And MSN-67 is formerly Foxtrot Hotel Papa Juliet Golf, and that is owned by um, DS Aviation. So um, according to data from CH Aviation, our friends over there, MS-64 is already scheduled to be scrapped. Right. MSN-67 is still listed as available for operating lease or sale on MyAirTrade by DS Aviation. So, you know, all of the data suggests that they're scrapping MSN-64 into REL. And I'm, I'm 95% confident that it is MSN-64. Um, this was an aircraft that was delivered to Air France on August 27th, 2010. Um, sorry, that's the first flight was August 27th, 2010, and it was delivered on June 17th, 2011. It completed 37,771 flight hours, which is equivalent to 4.31 years in the sky. Um, And that was across 4,158 flight cycles. And it had a four class configuration featuring 516 passenger seats. Um, Data from our friends over at flightradar24.com shows the aircraft's final passenger flight was March 23rd, 2020, operating from Johannesburg to Charles de Gaulle as AF995. And its final flight down to Tyrrell was AF360V, and that was April 25th, and it lasted one hour and 44 minutes. So sad news for this specific A380, but you know the A380 in the grand scheme of things I've just seen today that Emirates has started refitting premium economy into their first mm. refurbed A380 so um exciting things all around for the A380 even if this one Um, isn't so exciting.
1: (laughs) Well, certainly not such a nice ending anyway. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm glad we got Tom's A380 geek out out of the way um, because I want to talk about um, a dramatic incident. It was actually a little while ago now, but I've been on vacation for a week, so I I feel like I need to talk about it anyway. Um, Because on Sunday, October the 23rd, there was a, a rather dramatic incident at Cebu International Airport in the Philippines. Um, So it involved a Korean Air Airbus A330 registered HL7525 um, that was performing a flight from Seoul to the Philippines. Uh, but on arrival at Cebu, it um, experienced some very bad weather. And in fact, the aircraft entered a holding pattern awaiting clearer approach conditions. It then came in to land and it tried to land not once but twice, um, having to perform a go-around because it couldn't make a safe landing. And on the third attempt, it did touch down, but it ended up overshooting the runway. Um, and if I'm sure most of our listeners have seen the photos doing the rounds on the, the internet, mm. but there was substantial damage to the engines and the aircraft. Um, I and mean, passengers- the whole of the front
0: of the undercarriage is just gone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it looks like it might have hit maybe one of the ILS beacons because there's Oh, yeah, a,
0: definitely. It's kind of wrapped up in something.
1: Yeah, there's mm-hmm. there's damage to the top of the fuselage as well. So, mm. um, yeah, not a happy ending for that plane either. Um, but what was happy was that the 162 passengers and 11 crew on board were all evacuated without significant injuries. Yeah. Um, and they were... I think,
0: I think that's really remarkable because... Yeah. You look at this and you've seen planes in way better conditions after an incident where people have, you know, suffered injuries or passed away. I think it's really... they they got everything bang on with this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The evacuations were done by via the slides. Hmm. Um, And you know, people do hurt themselves on the slides sometimes, but there haven't been any reports of any significant injuries as a result of either the crash or the the, uh, evacuation, Um, which is great news and actually even better for Korean because they've got a completely fatality-free record since I think it's like 1994, which is really impressive. Um, And they didn't want to ruin that um, so we did get a statement from um, Ki Hong Woo who's the president of Korean Air uh, that was issued on the day after the incident and he said that he'd like to extend his sincere sentiments regarding the incident at Cebu International Airport a thorough investigation will be performed together with the local aviation authorities and Korean authorities to determine the causes of this event and he said that we always prioritise safety in all of our operations and truly regret the stress and inconvenience Convenience brought to our passengers. Um, we remain committed to standing behind our promise of safe operations and we'll do our very best to institute measures to prevent any reoccurrence. Our overall goal is for valued guests to trust that Korean Air will treat them well and honour us with the opportunity to welcome them once again. Um, so no doubt the airline is taking the incident very seriously. It seems rather unfortunate for them that it wasn't entirely their fault. It was um, very bad conditions in the Philippines apparently. Um, but th- for the passengers on that flight they've had rather a long delay to get to where they wanted to go. Um, they had um, they were escorted to three local hotels and an alternative flight home was being arranged. The airport was closed for two days following the incident. Um, the runway did briefly open the day after for a couple of hours in the evening, but that was only for a few departures, a few specific planes leaving. and a full reopening saw the first flight touching down again on the twenty fifth, which was Cebu Pacific um but the airport has been on restricted hours um operating only between 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. I presume those are like daylight hours. And the reason for that is that the Korean Air A330 is still at the end of the runway, even now, which is over a week since the incident happened. So to start with, the teams were removing the fuel that was still present in the airframe. Um, All the luggage and cargo had to be removed from the aircraft. Um, And then they were going to bring in a crane to move the wreckage away from runway 04. but it doesn't seem to be happening very quickly. I was just reading around this morning, um, now Tuesday as we're recording, and the manager of the airport said that they hope to move it within a week or two. So, it's going to be sitting there for a little while. Um, and I think the airport is going to remain on those restricted hours until they get it out of the way. Um, but I think you'll agree, Tom, it's definitely a write-off in this situation.
0: Yeah, I was I was reading, I think, somewhere though, that they were planning to write it off in the next couple of years anyway. So, um they're not they—they've got no interest in um, getting it airworthy again because I know no. there have been cases where airlines have gone to you know we've seen some planes that before you thought it's a write-off. Um, mm. There was Do you the United
1: Delta, um, or
0: Delta, the one that had the really lo- hard landing in the Azores Islands. It almost also. snapped
1: in half, didn't it? Was, yeah. it, was it a seven six seven?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, and or they, they fixed like that. that up.
1: And, uh, yeah, yeah, it was—it was flying again within a year
0: um there was the case of a Qantas one I think where it it was really expensive to it you know it costs way more than writing it off to fix it but they mm. fixed it because they didn't want to have a whole loss on their records
1: exactly um, but then it kind
0: of makes you think what's the point of these numbers you know if um but anyway
1: anyway we're glad to hear they're all well
0: <laughs> yeah um I'm, I'm really happy that it it didn't end up any worse cuz i think it so easily could have but um i wanted to talk a little bit about the boeing 787 and specifically Lufthansa, cuz i did promise i would talk a little bit about their first flight um i was on that a couple of weeks ago now um and you know it was it was quite fun you know there was I wanted to, you know, I was quite surprised that there was there was clearly a lot of people there for this flight. You know, of course, you had a couple of people that just happened to be travelling to Munich anyway, who were a bit like, um, "What's? Why is there so many people? Why's what's going on?" Um, but you know all in all it was a fairly regular flight and actually i was the one thing i was really disappointed with lufthansa did nothing to celebrate that this was the first flight of the 787 absolutely nothing the the extent of it was um, it was just like uh, there was a couple an announcement from the gate agent saying oh this is the first flight of the 787 and the pilot said um, we something like we hope you really enjoy it because we realise that most of you are here to fly on the seven eight seven and not to fly to Munich. Um, <laughs> but you know there was no like no certificate. I'm on the first seven eight seven flight. There was no, no celebration at the gate, nothing, um, which I thought was a bit of a missed opportunity um, from them. You know, in terms of the economy thing, it, you know, I was sat in. I had the option of sitting in a middle seat in premium economy or a window seat in economy, and you know, I thought it's a 30 minute flight. I'll go for the window seat in economy because you don't like, I'm sure premium economy on a 10 hour flight, you know, you're really going to feel the difference, but half an hour sat in a seat. I don't mind sitting in economy, um, if I've got the option for premium. So I sat in a window, um, towards the back of the economy cabin and they'd actually blocked off rows 30 backwards. Cause looking at the, um, Looking at the seat map, when I was checking in, I was like, it, it stops at row 30, and I'm like, are there really only 30 rows of seats on this plane? <laughs> um, but no, they <laughs> actually blocked liner. it off. The, yeah, the, head, the headrests of row 30 said um, no passengers allowed beyond this point. Um, the captain said no one can sit beyond there, Although, and the toilets were closed beyond there, but a couple of people still wandered back there to have a look. Um, so I'm not quite sure. I guess it was a weight and balance thing on such short flights, maybe, um, that and i also got the impression that they were only selling it with an a320 load of passengers so if they need to substitute the airplane they're not going to be left with loads of passengers they can't rebook um but you know in all in all you know i didn't find the the flight that amazing, um, sadly. Um, It was quite interesting because the Wi-Fi I didn't try out, for example, because they only had the long-haul options um, enabled and the cheapest option or, you know, there was the messaging option was six euros, um, I think, but I would have wanted to try the full one and for two hours it would have been, I think, 18 euros or so. And, um, you know, for a half-hour flight, it's just not worth it, however much I want to play with it. the IFE system, you know, it was it was quite fun watching the maps. Um, I didn't really love how the uh, general IFE was laid out because um, the films, you know, you just click films and it just gives you an alphabetical list of everything. It doesn't, is not intuitively like, oh, I want to watch an action film and you can filter it, but then you just get another alphabetical list. So I didn't think that was great. Um, The service was the standard domestic service, which was a bottle of water and a little chocolate bar. Um, And I did find it funny that the passengers next to me and Germans said to the crew, you know, this is the first... They were clearly some of these people that had just booked onto a flight and they happened to be on it. But they said, this is the first flight you should be giving us champagne. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, you know, all in all, you know, it's a nice airplane. It's just... um, I I guess maybe I had my hopes up too high for a half hour flight. Yeah, Um, yeah. maybe
1: they'll make more of a song and dance when they do the first long haul flight. Maybe they're just trying to keep it on the down low while they're familiarising themselves with it. Um, It'll be a shame if they do nothing ever to celebrate a new induction of a a different type because uh, most airlines do. We'll have
0: to see. Yeah. But, um, one thing I did find interesting was I was I was going through the cabin with a fine-toothed comb, you know, um, and I asked if I could look at the business class after we landed. Of course it's the Collins Super Diamond, so nothing amazing there. We've seen it before, and it's just another business class product for Lufthansa. But the one thing I did find really interesting was they spent a month basically to take off all of the HA branding from this aircraft because it had been meant to go to H A, and then there was financial issues with them, I think and then Vistara had meant to take it and they didn't. Um, and then Lufthansa took it and they kept the h seats. I think they put their own seats in for premium economy and economy. And this whole process of Lufthansa rising the interior took around a month, but they missed something. Um, the uh, digital control there's like a touchscreen to control the super seat and right. that still says h a group and it's all red um, <laughs> so I, I found that one um, quite funny that they they tried really hard and they got the IFE and they've got this and that and that but they missed this screen um, <laughs> so I don't know if they've fixed that now oh. um, in terms of the longer term plans for the 787 you know originally it was meant to go to um, Toronto, I think, when it first um, did its long haul flights. And then um, they told us when the first one was delivered, I think, that it wouldn't be Toronto, but they didn't know where it was. And then uh, I think a week or a couple of days before the plane took its first flight, Um, there was a big press release about we've christened, we flew the plane to Berlin and we christened the plane Berlin and Berlin, Berlin, Berlin. And, you know, I wasn't really interested in all of that, but I did find one sentence that said the first long haul flight would be to Newark. Oh, (laughs) But at that point, there was no, nothing in the schedule. But I did notice that yesterday, the 787 has now been put into the Lufthansa scheduled long haul and from December 1st to March 25th it's going to be making a rotation daily to Newark. Um, okay that's good. This must be when the second aircraft is ready because it's not going to stop the domestic flight straight away they're actually going to continue through to I think the 9th of um, January so there's a mm. whole whole month, uh, month and a third really of planes flying to munich and to newark oh Um, right i think i I think it's interesting because you know the point of the munich flights is for crew familiarization but are there really so many crew members that they want to familiarize on the 787 um but you know i'm not going to complain because i think for people who are flying to munich anyways it's a nice addition but i think most of the people who just want to fly on it have probably got it out of their systems so by now
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Definitely. But I did want to
0: give a little mention that I managed to meet up with our friend uh, Paul Lucas um, of YouTube fame for flight reviews. um, And it was just nice getting a beer with him in the terminal because uh, we both had really long layovers. (laughs)
1: Oh, that's nice. It's nice Hmm. to meet people in person when you've been following them online for a while. Um, But interesting what you say about the HNA branding, because I've just got back from a a trip on Icelandic Airline Play. And of course, all their A320 family planes, or most of their initial ones, came from the defunct Mexican carrier Interjet. Um, And although they have done Play kind of branding in the plane, they haven't done much. And most of the stuff in there is still in English and Spanish, which is kind of weird for an Icelandic carrier. And on the A321s that they bring down to London on that part of the flight, um, they have these like drop-down screens. There's no IFE, but there are these like drop-down screens where you can see the moving map. Um, And as well as giving the moving map with all the names in Spanish, there's various forecasts for obscure little Mexican towns running in the ticker tape along the bottom. Um, So, yeah, all in all, a bit of an unusual experience. But I guess this this is what happens when the market's as fluid as it has been the last couple of years and planes go to different airlines. But, uh, yeah.
0: Although I think Play is now starting to get its first own aircraft at this point, if I'm not mistaken.
1: I think they are. That's right. Um, certainly, the I flew on three different ones over the course of my last ten days, um, and all of those were X. Um, well, in fact, one of them. Two of them were ex-Interjet. One of them had been in Russia. It had been with Smartwings, and there was various bits of Russian wording around the plane. So uh, an unusual and very multicultural experience, considering I wasn't going anywhere near anywhere Spanish or or uh, Russian, indeed. Um, anyway, I wanted to talk a little bit about Australia because there has been um, a very exciting touchdown by United Airlines at the airport in Brisbane, um, and this is this has been the first time that there's been such a route from the US. U.S. to Brisbane, I think ever, actually. But it follows in the footsteps of aviation pioneer Sir Charles Kingsford Smith, um, who, of course, flew from the U.S. to Queensland um, 94 years ago. Um, So, it was in 1928, um, Charles Kingsford Smith, who was actually born in Brisbane, piloted the first Trans-Pacific flight flying a Fokker F-73M. I don't really know what one of those is, but (laughs) that's what it says on my piece of paper. Um, And it's a plane, a very small one. It was named the Southern Cross, and the flight departed from Oakland in California and landed at Brisbane Airport with stops in Hawaii and Fiji. Um, now, of course, United Airlines hasn't needed to make any of those stops and got there a lot quicker. Um, and it touched down with a Boeing seven eight seven nine registered N two two nine eight four at six twenty five a.m. on Sunday, just gone. Um, so I think that was the thirtieth if I've got my dates correct. Yes, yesterday was Halloween, wasn't it? Um, So... They were met by um, the Brisbane Airport Corporation's CEO, Gert Jan de Graf, who noted that the route Kingsford Smith and his crew of four pioneered all those years ago is now back in action and will deliver thousands of tourists to Queensland much more quickly. Um, so, that first pioneering journey, he said, took 83 hours and 38 minutes. Now, it can be done in just 13 hours and 45 minutes. Um, and it's interesting because the Southern Cross aircraft that Kingsford Smith used all those years Ago is actually just across the road from the international terminal at Brisbane. Um, it's, uh, yeah, so it's kind of kept as a memorial um, and being preserved. So, it's like full circle, I guess. I think it's quite interesting. But everyone's very excited about the San Francisco to Brisbane service by United Airlines. It's going to be operating initially three times weekly. Um, So, UA96 is going to depart on Wednesdays, Fridays and Sundays, with UA97 leaving Brisbane on Tuesdays, Fridays and Sundays. Um, And given United Airlines' new partnership with Virgin Australia, there is actually like infinite onward connection opportunities for people flying in from the US. So, So, in fact, I read that Brisbane is the best connected domestic hub in all of Australia with direct flights to 53 locations. Um, So, some of those will be on Virgin Australia, which can obviously be booked as a code share with bags going straight through. Um, Other ones won't be, but there's really lots of opportunity for um, people on the the West Coast to explore um, Australia going forward. Um, United Airlines is making a cool play here because before COVID, the US was Queensland's third largest inbound travel market. They had some quarter of a million visitors annually. Um, United's new service will add around 40,000 seats and is projected to add $17.3 million to the state's visitor economy. So you can imagine Brisbane's really excited to see United arrive. Um, And in fact, United as an airline will have more flights and routes to Australia from the USA than ever in its history. And in fact, it will have as many as Qantas, which is pretty cool. So, all in it's flying six US to Australia routes. Um, These are Houston to Sydney, which is currently operating three times a week, but will be rising to daily as we go into the Australia sort of summer peak season um, using a 7879. Los Angeles to Melbourne is currently three times weekly, but will soon be a daily service as well, also with the 7879. Los Angeles to Sydney is already daily and will stay that way. also on the 7879. Um, San Francisco to Brisbane is three times weekly and it will stay that way. They're not looking to add it or to tick it up to daily just yet. Um, Some of those are on the 7879, some are on the 7878. And then there's San Francisco Melbourne, which is also daily and San Francisco to Sydney, which is currently daily, but is going to be 10 times weekly over the Christmas period with the 777-300ER. So, every day throughout the Australian summer season, United's going to be flying an average of five services a day to to Australia from the USA. Um, And this will rise to seven daily flights on some days over Christmas and the new year. So exciting to see Australia getting reconnected thoroughly after all that time of being in lockdown.
0: Yeah, definitely exciting. And, um, you know, any Australian flight now, I think, is great, given how bad the lockdown was. I wanted to kind of wrap up and move on um, and talk about Boeing because who doesn't love Boeing? Um, I guess people who work at Airbus maybe, but um, no, we love Airbus and Boeing. um, But I want to talk a bit about Boeing's Q3 results because, uh, you know, Q2, they posted a $490 million profit. It hasn't stayed that way. Um, The core loss of Boeing in quarter three was 3.078 billion. so, quite a bit more loss than uh, profit. And the numbers come in a quarter where the plane maker saw increased commercial airplane revenues thanks to the resumption of Boeing 787 deliveries. And, you know, it seems that. I I believe that the the loss was kind of a one-off research and development cost for the defense side of things. Um, So it seems the commercial aircraft in Boeing has actually finally got its act together, Um, and you know, good on them because they've had a couple tough couple of years, uh, three years even. They had the 737 uh, crashes, which grounded that type, and the 787 was off delivery for at least a year. Um, So, you know. They posted a, previous, a similar revenue to the previous year. Um, it was uh, $15.956 billion, which was a uh, 0.678 billion increase, um, a very, so around 4% uh, climb. Uh, and you know, while Boeing's revenue sat fairly similar, it, it saw the huge loss. Um, it did post the 490 million profit in Q3, um, so... For the total, you know, Q1 was a loss as well. So if you look at the uh, nine months so far, the company... Well, how much do you reckon the company is sitting on so far? Just give me a ballpark figure.
1: No idea. Five billion.
0: Uh, close. The company is currently sitting on a loss of around four billion for oh my the year so far, uh, which would make me bankrupt. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Commenting on us. the quarter, um, Dave Calhoun remarked, "We continue to make important strides in our turnaround as we drive sustained uh, stability and focus on performance." That said, we remain in a challenging environment. While our cash generation was strong, our revenue and earnings were significantly impacted by losses on fixed price development programs in our defense business, driven by higher estimated manufacturing and supply chain costs, as well as technical challenges. So, you know, at simple flying we we you know, commercial airplanes is our bread and butter. So I thought I'd dial in a little bit more about the commercial aircraft performance. Boeing delivered 112 aircraft during the quarter and that's up a third from 85 in Q3 2021. So this naturally led to higher revenue. Um, it was 40% higher than 2021 at 6.263 billion just from selling commercial planes. Um, Overall, the the company's commercial backlog increased during the uh, quarter. So 112 aircraft were delivered, but net orders were 227 planes. So the the backlog, this is a number that's going to blow your mind. The backlog of Boeing orders is currently 4,300 or even more than that. And it's valued at $307 billion. Wow. Wow. (laughs)
1: That's a lot.
0: Yeah. Um, Interestingly, you know, the Boeing 787 only played a tiny part in the increasing delivery numbers because just nine were delivered um, in August and September, none in July. Um, You know, they're currently building it at low rates, but they aim to build this gradually back up to five per month. So, you know, it's a loss for Boeing, but we'll see what comes by the end of the year. I think – who knows what comes in Q4 when they, they have the last 747 delivery, obviously, but that's not really going to Im- impact the numbers so much.
1: Mm. Good stuff. Very mm. interesting. And it yeah. uh, be interesting to see how it plays out over the year as a whole when we get to the end of Q4.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have to make a $4 billion profit now just to yeah. <laughs> make a profit all in all. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Tough job. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, I think that's about all we've got time for today. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com.
0: For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying.
1: If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening.
0: Bye.